Daniel, we are back. How is it going? Are. Good, but we're partially assembled this time. <laughs> There's the two of us there. Yes. Uh, Adam will be back on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And you know what? We actually, by that time, should have a uh, cup winner. Yeah. That's which will be exciting. But most important news right now. <laughs> What's that? What's it like to be back in Vaughn for the weekend? <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. I came back uh, yesterday afternoon after our eighth home game of the season. It's been a wild three weeks. Yeah. Um, but no, man, it's good to be back in, in the GTA. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's super exciting. Okay, so let... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was say this... I'm like, you know, you coming back. I'm like, it's not like you were gone for two years. I'm like, no, the food tastes different. The, the approach to life the, the GTA, wasn't different. <laughs> the GTA hasn't changed at all in the three weeks I haven't been here. Um, let's start with the Stanley Cup final. Uh, we got two games to talk about since last episode. Just a little update. Obviously, Colorado's still up in the series, they're up three to two. Uh, last time we talked, it was. Two to one. A lot has changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- the last two games, and Daniel, you tell me if you think differently, but I think the last two games are very much what we thought this series would be. Um, I, I swear, every goal I saw, none of them were easy goals. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think the biggest thing that we did talk about last time was Colorado had to win game four. And they got it done. I think that if you tie it up with Tampa, at least at that point, going 2-2 and then being on the road again, I think that's just going to be a bit of a concern. But they were able to get it done. They're still in the lead. But I think it's still the same narrative for me that also Adam mentioned here. He mentioned on his Twitter account that we it's so, so difficult and not a good thing to count the lightning out, at least just yet. Not yet. I think like Colorado is by far the best team I think they faced um, in the last three playoffs for sure. And, and it's been a tough test and it's like, it's been the cup final, you know, we were talking about it last episode. I mean, we've been talking about it for the last few episodes, but it's the final I think we've all wanted and kind of have been expecting for the last three years. And now we've finally gotten it. Um, and, and I think it's been as advertised, man. Like it's been all it's, I mean, the first two games, I think Tampa uh, necessarily didn't start hot. And I don't think they've been top tier Tampa the last two games either, but I think they've definitely taken it up a notch, but I want to start with game four and Instead of talking about the press conferences, we'll talk about the press conferences. We will. But I think it's unfair to Nazem Kadri to not start with that goal and oh. what he's come back with. Uh, obviously, he went through all that, the, the horrible, horrible uh, stuff off the ice against St. Louis, uh, then getting a broken thumb, and now coming back and scoring the game-winning goal in game four and like what, you know, you, both of us have a, uh, a connection to Nazem Kadri as you're a half a Leafs fan. I'm a Leafs fan. Um, I always love for Nazi. Right. Exa- exactly. Like, what was it like seeing that goal? Cause like for me, uh, I didn't get to watch it live, but when I saw it, I'm like, you know, like good for him. Like uh, we were talking in the office, how it was just like, he deserves it, man. Like he, he went through so many ups and downs, especially in Toronto and, you know, uh, not necessarily being in the best environment for a lot of the years he was here and, you know, what was going on and the shenanigans on and off the ice is how I'll call it. And, you know, when he got to Colorado and then again, you know, getting suspended in uh, uh, two years ago and, you know, now just, coming out flying and he this year i mean his regular season was great and when he's been playing in the playoffs he's been uh, unbelievable yeah for sure um funny thing is when i first saw the goal i didn't know it was a goal a lot of people didn't know yeah it was a goal i he didn't know it was a goal and uh 
I just love that the delayed reaction and everything. But when you do really look close, that was such a skilled shot to just get it over Vasilevsky. That it's a thing that I think that they know what to do in the game plan. I just don't keep it low with him. Don't let him get into the butterfly. Just get it above his huge frame. And man, like I know that we talk about like momentum. We talk about like these these picture perfect moments when it comes to sealing a game. But the fact that it ended with Nazim Kadri. It ended with a play like that. It's just, you know, I don't believe in fate when it comes to a hockey game. But there's just something weird about it. Or just, of course, it had to be Nazim Kadri. Uh, just winning it for the Avalanche. And just, I guess, swinging that momentum where it needed to be. I mentioned in the last episode that it was going to be a close one. I think... I said it was going to be 4-3, but it was going to be Colorado in regulation. I didn't think it was going to get to here because it was anybody's game, I think, in overtime. There were so many chances on the other end as well. And for them to just kind of get that game, like you saw it in the face of Steven Stamkos. And we're going to get to the John Cooper thing soon, mm-hmm. but that was a crazy goal for me. You know, I, and I think coming off uh, that game from game three in that first period, it, it wasn't necessarily uh, the best Colorado. And I think Tampa took advantage of that in game three and in that first period. But how important do you think that game was for Colorado, for them to win, to go up 3-1 in the series? How important do you think it was for that team? I think it was crucial. I think that... We've seen it, and I'm, I'm going to mention Toronto again, where we get we get to a certain point where you even the odds and you don't know how things are going to go. I think with the ads right now, there is a bit of that margin of error, and we're going to get to it in Game 5 about Darcy Kemper, that there is that margin of error of players don't always have to play above what they are. and But the thing is, the Lightning are able to get that out of the guys they have. So I think that the Avs did have a bit of a cushion to just say, okay, let's try to seal the deal. But like, it's, it's possible. It's almost there. And we're not just kind of letting the lightning get back to us completely. And just, you know, the way they play, just smothering us with the control, with the possessions, with the shots. So I think it was a statement win. I think it was a win that definitely shows that the abs are for real and we know they're for real, but, it's something that what you said, it's the best team they faced. For and sure. They're really showing it right now that it, they might end this dynasty, which is crazy. Yeah. And, and let's talk about uh, that, those press conferences real quick, because I, you know, there's some interesting stuff I was just reading about from game five, but let's talk about those two press conferences. He had obviously the night of, um, Okay, before we actually before we get to the press conferences, let's let me ask you this: Was it too many men on the ice? Oh my gosh, uh, I don't think so. I I don't think it was. I think, um, who, I forgot the sixth skater. Was it Nathan McKinnon? Yeah, I believe that so. He, I don't know. It was close enough to the bench that would that really affect the play? Like I don't know. It's it's so tough, but. I know it was so tough. I think, okay, I'm going to look at the calls. Like it was so tough to say, yes, that was definitely too many men. It's just Mm -hmm. the one thing with him is just John Cooper's reaction at the press conference to it. The way he's like, I, you know, I feel for the players. It's like, you know, his press conference was so interesting and how we, how, no, sorry. The press conference wasn't interesting. It's how the media and how people read it and got through it the next day, which was fine. I get it. Yes. If like, was he emotional? Yes. But he literally started the press conference explaining how emotional he was. Right. So uh, like, do you know what I mean? Like I find it funny, you know, like you literally knew what was coming next. There was no, this shouldn't have been a surprise as much as a surprise as it was, not because it's John Cooper, not because it's his Tampa Bay Lightning, whatever, because he literally started the press conference almost basically saying, I'm extremely emotional right now. I'm definitely going to say something that 
I'll probably regret the next day. And literally, did he not the next day have a press conference saying, sorry, guys, I don't really think I should have said it like that. Yeah. I, one, I, of the, one of the many hockey, one of the very few hockey slips we see at the highest level. I I, I believe that. Um, yeah, it's just the emotions got to him, but man, that was a bit of, that is a mess. It is a mess. Okay. Like, cause I, I, I want to ask it like, did you understand the outrage from the, not of John Cooper's outrage? Like, I felt like I saw quite a bit of outrage on John Cooper, essentially speaking out. And you can disagree with what he said. And I think both of us do. Like, I think that would have been a hell of a harsh call to make an overtime game of a Stanley Cup final. And listen, I don't think the game should be officiated and, in that way and like well you know it's the Stanley Cup final but it's the NHL that's just how how the NHL is officiated Mm -hmm. it's definitely a rough call to make um I feel like we've definitely seen calls like that happens all the time right literally what happened happens all the time but at the same time I do understand John Cooper's frustration like not that i agree with him but you're on the you're trying to win your third your third straight stanley cup i think the emotions will get to you and it's not the first time this playoffs that the emotions i think have gotten to him and that's okay isn't that what we want yeah that's what i want that's why i didn't think like oh you were out of the line john you know i didn't like that uh you know you you weren't robotic <laughs> in your responses to things. So I think it, it, it did become something more of like, oh, you know, look at this with John Cooper. You know, he's not handling it well. But like we've said it before, this is the norm in other sports. This is something that, you know, some like how many times have coaches been fined for what they said about refs? And then when it comes into the NHL, it's just like, oh, my gosh, that guy did that again. But yeah, it's it was OK. Like, I think, you know, John, you're OK. And and like it's just being a being a human being. It's about having emotions. Like I and I don't think. Do you think that took away? Like because I think the conversation that I saw happening on Twitter was that what John Cooper said took away from Nazem Kadri's moment. Did like do you agree with that? I don't. I don't think it is. I think this is more of you're just trying to dig for another story. And I'm saying. Like, <laughs> anyone specifically because are you calling someone out i'm not calling anyone out i'm just saying that this happens listen like you know the main thing of the game is the nazim kadri overtime winner i think when you look into the john cooper situation it's just of course there's pressure there you know the what's the background right now in that narrative they go down three one and you're defending cup champions and I'm sorry, but like this is a team that I don't, it's going to be extremely difficult to really come back in seven games. It is possible. It is possible. We don't know sure. what, the, what the future holds for the Lightning, but I think it was a pressure cooker situation that, you know, you're already, you were down 2 0, you're 2 1, you had the opportunity, you had the, op- the overtime opportunities to tie this series, and it didn't go your way. Of, I would be pissed. Right. And like I, and it's what we want, emotion. Like I can't tell you the amount of times when I, I, in in Guelph where we're doing the post game scrums after a game, and the coach, the player from both teams show emotion. And I get it, it's the CBL; it's not going to get the same media attention as the as the NHL or, or the Don't NBA or vice versa. Out. No, but like the point, sorry, the <laughs> point I'm trying to make is like, there's no outrage. Yeah. Yeah. There doesn't need to be the outrage of, Oh my God, I can't believe he said that. You know how many times the, the, our, the coach has criticized, but not actually criticized the refing. You know what I mean? And no one's yeah. like, no, like if that happened in like that happens in the NHL and it's, it's always the biggest deal, but Again, all props to Nazim Kadri, all props to the Colorado Avalanche for winning that game. And I think that's it. Was it a too many men on the ice? Both of us have said no. Right? I think like uh, it's it's a rough call. 
that's a tough yeah, one to, to say it's too many men on the ice. But now we move on to game five. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the cup's in the building. Yes, I, I, they I, told I, us on Twitter. They're telling us like, on Twitter. They did tell us on Twitter. And I believe Adam is the one who put this in the dock. But the cup was in the building on Saint Jean Baptiste Day for the team that was once the Quebec Nordiques. Yes. Was that Adam or was that you? That was it Adam. could be both it could be both of you. <laughs> um I really think um I don't know. It was it, it, I'd like to say one thing. It's like the the the, the cup achieved um it achieved uh self uh, what is it um what do we always say? Oh, I know what you're trying to say. Now the word's not coming to me. Self, self-awareness. Yes, yes. Yes, the cup achieved self-awareness. So I really think that the way I saw it was, I don't know, man. Like, sorry, my apologies. I am just fixing my charger right now. <laughs> no worries. It, it unplugged. That happens with home offices sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, the way I kind of saw it was... You know, it, it's a big moment. Um, I think the Avs really did have a chance to close it out. This was a super close game, and I think they did bring both of it. Um, the main thing I did want to talk about Game 5 is... All right, so ahead, we're back. Technical difficulties, ladies and gentlemen, but you if you've been a regular listener, you know that happens with home offices. But I will get back to my original point of Game 5, and it's actually something I got... What I, I actually thought, okay, I, I'm not saying that they stole my idea. I'm saying that we, we thought the same thing. But um, the athletic NHL staff and I both believed <laughs> for game five that Andre Vasilevsky was good, but he wasn't great. And that's completely fine because he gave what he was able to do, what he's able to always do with Tampa is he gave them a chance in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that I think it was a close game, but they were comparing it and Darcy Kemper just, what we said before, didn't really cut it. So the part they said here is, was Shayna Goldman. She said, quote, Andre Vasilevsky wasn't perfect tonight, but he gave his team a chance to win with a quality start. According to evolving hockey, he saved 0.28 goals above expected. Darcy Kemper, on the other hand, Allowed 1.14 goals above expected. Clearly not his sharpest. Um, I think it went down to that. I think that when you look at both teams being, you know, bruised and battled through what we've called the war of attrition right now, that is yeah. the NHL playoffs. I think it, it really went down to that. The Lightning didn't have Braden Point. Uh, the Avalanche are clearly missing Sam Girard. They're clearly missing a healthy Nazim Kadri. It's it's just how things are going to be. Um, this was a close one. I think that even though they were able to keep it close and it was a very close game, I think the Lightning just got back to what they needed to do. And again, I'm taking this from another point that The Athletic and I both shared is what we've said so many times on this podcast is the next man up mentality that they're getting the most out of everybody that is coming in and out of the lineup, whether they're going to be in the top nine, whether they're going to be that energy fourth line guy, whether or not you're going to also, you know, happen to be on the first line. And I like to uh, give you a good stat, Alex, that I Let's think you're going, to, you're going to really enjoy. Also from the athletic that we both <laughs> believed collectively. Also from Shana Goldman quote. Okay. Let's not pretend Riley Nash over Braden point is helping Tampa Bay. That said, it's impressive that he's remained so defensively sound when the team has needed him to jump onto the play. Tonight, five on five. Shot attempts were 8-3 in the Lightning's favor with him, who's being Riley Nash, on the ice, and they generated 96% of the expected goal share. His job essentially is not to be a liability and help the team maintain the ability to roll four lines. But Nash is bringing a positive defensive impact as well, end quote. Wow. Yes. So the Leafs connections run deep, but yeah, it's crazy. Um, it's weird to me. Riley Nash coming into the lineup and being that defensive center for the Lightning at the most crucial times. 
I know he was coming off injury it, last year, but I'm like, man, I wish this was the Riley Nash on Toronto. Right. And it's got to be the most Tampa thing, though, right? Where yes. and, 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 and you know, we, we always see it with Pittsburgh where it's like, okay, here's a random guy from Wilkesbury Scranton and and he works. And it's like, I feel like the same happens in Tampa too. And not that Riley, Riley Nash is random, obviously. He's been in the NHL for many, many years, but he hasn't been great the last few years. Um, you, you know, you talk about the war of attrition and just a couple things from this morning, or I guess earlier this afternoon, uh, CJ had the quote that, uh, Cooper is not John Cooper. Sorry, is not expecting any lineup changes for Game Six tonight. So again, no brain point. Uh, John Cooper said it's quote un- it's unfortunate because it's a severe injury. Man, that team is going to have so many surgeries this offseason. It's going to be nuts. Um, Tank for Connor Bedard. I'm just what I, I don't want it. I don't want it. I'm just throwing it out there. That'd be the ultimate Golden State Golden State Warriors move. They're, you know, the injuries mount up after all these runs, and then they still get Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, James Wiseman. Yeah, that's, and then uh, suddenly they win the fourth championship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and they have Jordan Poole too. I had Jordan Poole too. They uh, what a steal in the draft. Yeah, and actually, I have a question for you about that after. Um, okay. And. From Colorado's side, uh, CJ said Valerie Nishushkin had a noticeable limp walking into Amelie Arena this morning. Uh, Jared Bednar on Nishushkin's availability for game six. Quote, yeah, we're hoping he's in tonight. Man, both teams are are struggling up and down the lineup, and that's definitely going to be a big thing um, heading into game six. Um, but now that now that Tampa won game five in Colorado and they weren't able to do it in games one and two. Right. I think that was the biggest thing. Like, you know, games one and two Tampa came out and was not Tampa. Well, the second game was seven, nothing Colorado. Yeah. That was literally. And so I don't want to discredit Colorado. That's not what I'm trying to do here. Obviously Colorado stepped it up a notch and that's what you have to do to beat Tampa Bay. But at the same time, Tampa Bay also was not looking like Tampa Bay. They looked like they were struggling. Um, and now it seems like it, it's kind of catching up with Colorado a, a little bit too in, in that sense. Now they're both really struggling with injuries. What do you think is going to be crucial tonight? And, you know, I mean, by the time this podcast out, there's probably going to be a couple hours until uh, puck drop. And then by the time people listen, oh, everyone listens It'll be passed. But again, what do you think is going to be crucial tonight for, uh, for let's go start with Tampa Bay. What's crucial for them tonight? I think for them, it's just kind of still playing that same game we've had with them. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to the Elliot Friedman, no point in warmups tweet <laughs> again. But generally speaking, I think that they just have to do what they did in game five at, and is, you know, wake up early. Um, be the team they need to be and just get all those chances. I think that what they mentioned too in that article from The Athletic is just the waves the Lightning have been able to do, the way they've been able to wear down teams and get the goals from, you know, like not only from your stars and that we've seen that clearly, you know, Nick Paul being a hero there. Um, It's just getting what they can out of everybody and I think everyone having that collective mentality because, Listen, like we we know that Darcy Kemper is not at the same level, and he has been same level be, as Andre Vasilevsky. Andre Vasilevsky, yeah, and yeah. he's he's been he's been okay to good, and I think that's what Colorado needed. They just didn't need him to just be an absolute superstar. But I think he's, he is he is going to get a bit exposed right now, especially sometimes the goals can be pretty untimely for him. So I think the Lightning, what they're going to do is they're just going to keep pushing. Because it is, they are in survival mode now. So they're just going to keep pushing, right. playing that game. And I think Andre Vasilevsky, it's an elimination game. So he's probably going to be, you know, I mean, he will be amazing for them to hold down the fort. Um, I think 
the lightning too like they're in terms of the injuries like their defense has it has been generally untouched by the injury bug so i think they just have to stay consistent along those three pairings for tampa sorry for tampa yeah 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 you're right their defense hasn't really changed at all like <laughs> that's actually their forward course like seemingly gotten beaten up but their defense has been i think in the first round uh they made that change i believe uh it was they took cal foot out and put bogo in and then they played a couple game a few games with 7d but for the most part it's been the same six guys uh since that point that's actually a really interesting point um no i agree like i think tampa Obviously, we know what that like. Yes, he's had some off nights, Vasilevsky, but I think generally speaking, we know what he's going to be. Mm-hmm. I think we're definitely going to see again, need to see. It's not going to just be enough that, and, and listen, you when you're in the Stanley Cup final, this is extremely obvious, and you don't get to the Stanley Cup final without the depth. Uh, joining in and you know we've seen nick paul and and you know one guy in particular and i really want to point him out again is andre palat he's gonna get paid this summer or he's gonna stay in tampa at a discount one of the two um but if he does leave tampa he's gonna get paid and and again in game five scored the game winning goal there's is there anything this man can't do uh like uh, watch him tonight be crucial for for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I'd like uh, to, I hope Adam answers this too when he gets back onto the show, but is Andre Palat your blue shell? Like in Mario in Kart? Mario Kart, yes. It's a good question. He can be. He definitely can be. Okay, explain why he would be. Though. I think it just, it's just out of all the times that, you know, it's either you're going to win, you're going to go to overtime, you have that mentality in your head that, like, I guess it's just trending this way. And then, oh, wait a minute, Andre Palat makes another play. <laughs> and he's done it more than once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Andre Palat is whoever gets him this summer, they're going to love him. Like- and, like, I literally, I think I, I think I said it on the podcast, and, you know, everyone's talking. And again, I'm making it about the Leafs, but I'm going to do it for like 15 seconds. You know, we'll probably talk about at some point who's going to be on that second line left wing. I would absolutely love to have Andre Palat. I absolutely know it's not going to happen because the money is not available. Um, sorry, but I would love to have him there because I feel like he'd be an absolute yeah, that'd be perfect, yeah. perfect, perfect fit for that second line next to Tavares and Nylander or whoever that second line Uh could be now let's look at colorado right uh, I, I just i want to read this quote i have here from miko randon this is from cj miko randon acknowledges that the abs were a bit nervous with the chance to win the stanley cup in game five quote i think the second time is going to be easier fair don't know if i agree with him <laughs> considering the opponent they're facing but that's fine um what do you think you know, looking at game five, what do the Colorado Colorado Avalanche have to do to clinch it tonight? I think is just, and I've mentioned it's the opposite of what Tampa's doing. It just decreased the chances. When they had a chance to really kind of throw it onto the lightning, it meant that they had the puck. They meant they had better possession because, again, I, I'm not being a cynic here, but I think the more you're away from Darcy Camper and your own zone, the better. Like it's just it's just not saying like it's just the natural talent there. It just there's the injury history with him there, and he hasn't been the sharpest. What we've been able to see is that they've been able to contain the lightning. They have been able to not let them early on, especially like just clamp onto them and not let them play their game. I think Colorado's just been able to do that in their wins to get that energy. Um Game five was a bit of a back and forth with that, but I think for them to really want to clinch it, to close it off, they have to have that mentality that, listen, we have to contain them and we can't go 
back to that back and forth thing because we don't have that blue shell. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they do. I'm I mean, sure yeah, that's in Kadri, but Kadri, I mean, and I think Nutrition. Nutrition's another guy, and I think we talked about the last episode. Again, gonna get paid this summer, and I and and I don't know where it's gonna be. I'm sure Colorado would would love to have him back, and I think you know. It was, it's interesting, like, you know, that first part of the season, there was all this, uh, a lot of people talking about Burakovsky and, you know, they're going to prioritize prioritize him and resign because both Burakovsky, Nishushkin, and Kadri are obviously UFAs. And now, you know, this back half of the season, and especially in the playoffs, everyone's been talking about Valerie Nishushkin. Um, and now it seems like the not conversation... Not the Dallas Stars, though. Not the, except the Dallas Stars. Uh, <laughs> the... And, and now is he the priority to be signed? Um, and again, he's shown up. Like you talk about, you know, it's like Andre Palat, but on the other side. Um, I, I do agree with you. And, you know, you talk about Darcy Kemper. And I, I when you're facing the Tampa Bay Lightning, I always think it's unfair to like compare goaltending because you're lit. And I'll die on this hill. Andre Vasilevsky is the best goalie in the world. I don't think I'd have to die on that hill. I think there's people, every, most people. Igor Shosturkin even said it. I think most people will agree. Like, Igor Shosturkin was the best goalie this year. Yeah, hands down. He was my Vesna winner. But uh, but Andre Vasilevsky is the best goalie in the world. So that's why I think it, it's – I get why, obviously, keep it away from Darcy Kemper. It's just like, okay, Darcy, you you got to – you have to go toe-to-toe with the best goalie in the world. Have fun with that. Um, and, you know, we saw it literally last round where it was Igor versus Andre, and that was a battle uh, between the goalies. And, you know, maybe again, once again, the first two games, that, that that's a – with the exception of the Florida series, that has been a pattern with the Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm just saying. I'm just stating a fact here. Slow starts to the series, but they sure as hell do – uh, pick it up later on. Now, before we move on, I want a prediction. Okay. Who will win game six? Oh, I'm going to say the Lightning. Okay. 5-3. Uh, Fifth three. goal is an empty netter. Who's the game winner? It will be Ross Colton. Ross Colton. Okay, fair. Uh, I'm going to go with, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be Tampa. I'm going to go with, it's going to be 3-1. And you know who's going to score the game-winning goal? Corey Perry. Andre Palat. <laughs> and and then Steven Samkos is going to score the third goal. I'm just throwing guesses out here. I do think Steven Samkos will score tonight, though. Um, we both picked Tampa. and. I don't want to look too far ahead, but I do have to ask because we brought it up in in past series before. If Tampa wins in game six and we're tied 3-3 going into game seven, what on earth happens in game seven? Like, because you're talking about Tampa Bay, who's who's gone just back and forth and, and I mean, their record in elimination games is phenomenal. Did, I, I, I'm going to phrase it like this, and it's going to sound harsh, but I'm going to phrase it like this anyways. How much, does it, how much of a chance does Colorado have in a game seven against the Tampa Bay Lightning? 43%. 43%. I don't know why I thought 43. Maybe Nazim Kadri's old number. Yeah. Or Darren Helm's current number. Um, I, you know, I don't know. It's just kind of like, and I'm looking back, not just on, because both teams are juggernauts. Yeah. But I think it just, it comes down to experience of what you are going to expect from a type of game like this, especially in the finals. Um, I don't know. It's just the way the Lightning are built. It's just, they have that extra gear in them, no matter who's in the lineup, to really buy in, to know that this is what we have to do. And this is something that, for me, it's like, it's like we're going to do something that you're not going to expect. Like, I look back on the Toronto series, like, would, did I really expect Nick Paul to score twice? No. No. 
So I think for me, I, I, I don't know if this, if the Colorado Avalanche don't close it out, I don't think they survive a game seven. Ooh. Okay. That's a, uh, that's spicy. That's spicy. You? What is your prediction for a, a potential game seven? I, this, I think it's going to be too, like, it's going to be, oh, game seven is going to be must watch if we get there. Um, Again, I, I think it, I'm going to stay consistent. I, in the beginning of the series, I said Tampa Bay. I think Tampa Bay edges it out. But again, it's not going to be an easy game for either team. Mm-hmm. I mean, tonight, I, I don't think any of these games have been easy. Maybe the 7 nothing game was easy-ish for Colorado, but I don't think any of these games have been particularly easy for any team. Like literally the last two games, I thought every goal you literally had to work that extra 10% to get it, right? Weren't working, you're working 110% to get that goal. Um, but I do think it's going to be Tampa. I think it would be a, a like I mean, either way, sorry, either way, whoever wins, it's going to be a great story. You're talking about Colorado, who first time in the cup final with this core wins the cup. Or you're talking about and Nathan McKinnon's first cup, Cam McCarr's first cup. And you talk about look at Tampa, and it's like they can win back to back to back Stanley Cups, which hasn't been done for four decades. Yeah. So who is your con Smythe winner? If Colorado wins? Yeah. Uh I th- Definitely now think it's Cam McCarr. I don't remember if I think last time I was undecided, but I definitely now think it's Cam McCarr. How about you? I had the same one too. Yeah, like that was my prediction from Eastern Conference. Uh Tampa. Oh, I think Steven it's Stamkos. Steven Stamkos. Oh, Daniel, I'm gonna have to disagree. With you. Okay, <laughs> Who I'm gonna have man? to. It's got to be Andre Vasilevsky. I get. I don't know. It's just for me. Um, maybe I have too much of a high bar with the con smite but it's just kind of like that's like the few slip-ups there i'm just i don't know like that that just took a few votes off for me fair fair no i mean listen i definitely have no financial incentive if andre vasilevsky wins the con smite but that's fine no big deal (laughs) um (laughs) let's move on i mean next episode we'll have a cup winner because it's tonight tuesday we'll record on wednesday so We'll have a cup winner at that point. Let's let's go to the news around the league. And we'll start with, I mean, I don't know if it's the biggest news, but it sure as hell is up there. Uh, this is from Darren Dreger on Friday. Sources say Barry Trotz has decided not to immediately jump back into coaching. Trotz informed the Winnipeg Jets of his decision today and intends on continuing to focus on family. Trotz acknowledged how difficult the decision that sorry, how difficult the decision was to not accept the head coaching job in Winnipeg. That's pretty big news. It is. It's also like a wrinkle for me in just how the offseason's already been for the Winnipeg Jets. Oh my goodness. Like I think for me, I'm I mentioned that. Barry Trotz would have been a good stabilizer there, um, kind of calm things down. There's a few little fires they have to extinguish there. And this is a team that the way they're built, you have to get them back on course as quickly as possible. And I think Barry Trotz was the best opportunity to do that, to get arguably one of the best coaches onto your team, calm things down, start winning again. Start having that chemistry again, getting the most out of your star guys and just get rid of all the bad publicity that's going on there. All of the trade rumors, Pierre-Luc Dubois probably not wanting to resign there. Um, you know, even like the little things too, Christian Vasilainen, he didn't want to stay with the team because he wasn't getting an opportunity. You know, that's another first round pick who doesn't want to stay there. And finding out like, how are you going to find rest for Connor Hellebuck or, how are you going to kind of fix things or, you know, like all these trades that have happened that you gave up assets for, and it didn't work out for that defensive core. It's, it's just, 
it's just another gut punch for me if I'm the one to pick Jets. For you, is like obviously if you bring in Barry Trotz, and we've seen it in New York, we saw it in New York. He made Varlamas and Sorokin's job a whole hell of a not yes, a whole hell of a lot easier. And both of them really good goalies. And Sorokin, holy, talk about a back half of a year for a goalie. Um, is there another coach out there for you that the Winnipeg Jet that seems like that would be a good fit for the Winnipeg Jets? I don't know. It depends on how desperate <laughs> they are because when I look back on and, you know, what he said before, um, I know we can't overlook a lot of the things, but, you know, and I know he was rightfully dismissed, but like, if you're going to swing big and you're not going to give just, you know, any coach an opportunity, like I could see them getting Joel Quenville because they're just that desperate. When I put it past them, I bet, listen, if they do that. I mean, there's a Kevin Chevel day off connection. Daniel, did. <laughs> no, I don't like, yes. Yeah. The, 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 the connection is there for sure. Um, I don't know if Vegas should definitely, not Vegas, sorry. Uh, Winnipeg should definitely think long and hard about that one. Um, but there's, I don't know, like, you know, I was looking the other day of the coaches who are still available and like, there's a couple of names, you know, Rick Tockett, obviously he's uh, on TNT or he was, he is still on TNT. Sorry. Um, and Jim Montgomery, like his name, you know, obviously he had, he, he was the former stars head coach, uh, left, went to get help and, and is now back. And he was, I believe with the, blues this year mm-hmm. and again like that's a that's another guy i think who would be an interesting fit in winnipeg unless there's someone completely out of the blue that i have forgotten wouldn't bruce Cassidy? he would have been perfect i think for this team like installing that team culture and that stability there but at the same time too the golden knights also need the same thing too so it yeah. makes sense but that was quick. I think that they should have been more in the mix too. Like, you know, I don't know how the negotiations went. Like, it just kind of felt like we're fixated on Barry Trotz. And that's about it. It just, for me, I think that maybe they should have considered a Bruce Cassidy possibility. We don't know if Bruce Cassidy considered them as a possibility. That is true. And, you know, obviously everyone made the Trotz connection to Winnipeg because he's from Manitoba. Um, and I'm sure... He would want to come home, hopefully. Um, two other things have come out of Winnipeg recently. Uh, F- Frank Cervelli said that the Jets have spoken with other teams about Blake Wheeler. Uh, he has two years left at 8.25, uh, 8.25 million. He's 35 years old. He also has a five-team no trade list. Uh, sorry, a five-team trade list. On July, starting July 1st. Secondly, Pierre Luc Dubois, you just mentioned it. He's going to be a restricted free agent on July 13th. He's going to have Arbrights. Elliot Friedman, the Elliot Friedman, friend of the show, reported that the Jets Center informed management that in two, in two years' time, he wants to test the UFA market. Why? The trade's looking even worse now. Well, wait, okay. Well, which one do you want to start with? Do you want to start with Blake Wheeler or do you want to start with? I think we'll start with Blake Dubois. Wheeler, as you mentioned okay. first. I think, okay, you know, at the, when we started this podcast, we already said that's a horrible contract. That's not going to age well. And, you know, fast forward three, four years, it's a horrible contract and it's not aging well know. because of all the number of protections they gave him. The preferential treatment, I think that they were able to give a guy a contract like that. And we don't know, like allegedly led to Patrick Lina getting traded. Um, that's one's going to hurt too, especially when there is this crunch now. Like what is a Pierre-Luc Dubois number going to look like? What happens if we have to trade Mark Shifley and Pierre-Luc Dubois? Yeah, we're going to get a lot of assets for both of them, but we're not going to be good anymore. What happens if they have to trade all three guys? Pierre-Luc Dubois, Mark Shifley, and... 
<laughs> and like, we, I mean, they don't have to, sorry, but I should phrase that as what if they decide to like, you know, I look at the Winnipeg Jets and, you know, under Barry Trotz. Yeah, no, that team's not going through a rebuild. But again, now I feel like because the coaching situation is in limbo, we know Blake, like they're shop, potentially shopping Blake Wheeler and Pierre-Luc Dubois doesn't want to be in Winnipeg essentially, or is, is either he, he either doesn't want to be in Winnipeg or he's negotiating through the media, which we've seen before, not from Pierre-Luc Dubois. I just mean in general, um, does this team go through a rebuild? Oh, I don't know how you would do that because when you look at the domino effect of that, it's like, if I'm Connor Hellebuck, and like you were trading core guys, and I thought we were supposed to be contending. What are sure. we doing then? Are you going to trade Josh Morrissey now as well? Are you going to trade Neil Pionk? Because if we're going through a rebuild, like why would those prize those guys in the prime want to stay for a team that's not going to compete? Oh, a hundred percent. I agree. And like you know, if you're looking at if you know you're going to lose Pierre Luc Dubois in two years. Right. Let's say Kevin Chevalier, I was like, okay, I guess we're going to have to prove ourselves for another two years. So Pierre-Luc Dubois stays, which I don't think they're going to do. No offense to Pierre-Luc Dubois. It's not a superstar we're talking about here. He could be, but he's not. Um, You always think that, right? It's like, you know, he's going to, it's like only if he takes the next step. Yeah. And it's like this year could have been it, but it wasn't. Uh, and then you have Blake Wheeler. Like you're trading these two guys away potentially. How are you going to get better? What is a Blake Wheeler deal look like? What does a Pierre Luc Dubois deal look like? Are you trading these guys? and then going to make big moves in free agency? Are you going to trade these guys and then use those assets to go out and get better players? Like, Honestly, like what, what are they going to do? The way I'm seeing it is even half retained, I would not touch that Blake Wheeler contract. The guy is 36. Yeah. Um, you know, diminishing numbers and the five team, no trade. Like, it's just there's just too much to get over that to think I'm going to get a significant asset out of that, that we are going to be able to, to, to move this. And I don't think that teams are going to see it as a favorable thing. We're like, he is a great player. He's made the all-star team. He's been the captain for quite some time. But in my opinion, if I'm a contending team for that salary, at that age, do I really view Wake Blake Wheeler as that X factor for me getting to the next level based on how much I have to pay him, pay him and what I probably have to give him based on what the Jets want? And why will Blake Wheeler be an Arizona Kite? <laughs> Joke. Uh, but don't be surprised. Um, no, like that. And like, I guess, like what are, what are they going to do? Like, I think, is there another coach out there who could have the as big of impact or close to it as Barry Trotz. Like, remember what Barry Trotz, and yes, Lou Amarillo was a part of that, but remember what Barry Trotz did with the New York Islanders and how defensively sure that team was. Mm -hmm. Is there a coach out there who could come into Winnipeg and make an impact as big as Barry Trotz? I don't think there's anyone right now on the market. So then, and, and we don't have to answer this question because we've been talking about it, but the question does have to be asked, then what do you do? Like, now what? They have to find, like, the diamond in the rough Jay Woodcroft. <laughs> the yeah, best of both essentially. worlds who could talk to your star players. Essentially. And, and it's really, really unfortunate that it's turned out this way for Winnipeg because, you know, obviously – under Paul Maurice before these last couple of years, you're talking about uh, a trip to the conference final, multiple second, getting to the second round with a team that was still developing. And now we're sitting here with Kyle Connor and Kyle Connor, who's at least a 40 goal scorer and Nikolai Ehlers, who's just, who is a top six winger and very, very good and probably a little underutilized in Winnipeg. 
both in their primes and we're kind of losing that yeah and that's the that's i think the that's the worst part of all this and again in the back you have morrissey and uh pr who are 27 and 26 and they're there's a lot riding on them and shovel day has done what he's needed to do on that back end but again, I don't think it comes close to what that back end was at a couple yeah. of years ago. Of course. Yeah, like I, I agree with that. Um, I think just the Jets, and this is again my opinion, I think it just they've been holding on for too long on certain things. Like Paul Maurice was a voice that I think maybe two years too long. Okay. Um I think again, giving Blake Wheeler that preferential treatment well into his third his like past his mid thirties that was clearly a mistake, and you know it's difficult it's difficult finding a one B difficult finding like a very good I don't know a two A yeah. type of goalie but it, they had to figure out a way to give Connor Hellebuck a bit of a break you saw how he was in the playoffs the last few years when they did make the playoffs that the guy was burnt out oh yeah for sure. Um, let's move on to, we actually have some good news. Okay. We have some good news. After the Winnipeg Jets, that's great. Uh, and it's going to be even better news when you find out what team it's for. It's good news for the Ottawa Senators. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is from the National Capital Commission Twitter account. Breaking new milestone for the LeBreton project. Uh, they've signed a memorandum of understanding. Sorry, my nose is a little stuffy at the moment. We've signed a memorandum of understanding with Capital Sports Development, Inc., a group led by the Ottawa Senators for the development of a major event center at LeBreton Flats. Now, uh, this project would include an NHL hockey arena and events venue surrounded by mixed-use development. Now, if you don't remember the whole LeBren's, LeBren Flats saga from a few years ago, pre-COVID, um, obviously they were in on the LeBren Flats. Eugene Melnick and, um, and the other investors just kind of butted heads a lot. And it never ended up happening. And it was really unfortunate because it was very much a perfect opportunity for uh, the senators to move from unfortunately the middle of nowhere to downtown Ottawa. Um, the, uh, I think this is the most positive news that could have happened for the senators. Obviously they're an up and coming team on the ice, but off the ice, I, I really think this is going to do wonders for them. Yeah. I think um, it's another, it's a good step for them in two ways that you finally are looking to get probably at another arena which is good second thing i think the way they've been able to build this facility and just stay committed to it is an outreaching to the community that is so crucially important for them i think that they have this momentum right now where there are the guys that are committing to things brady kachuk committing there um i think that's just a perfect example of we're trying to build something here so let's let's bring the community along this journey now that you know we're not going to obviously contend right away but just you know sh let us show you now that we're building something here that's sustainable that you know this is not the team of the past we want to really be fixated and be part of the Ottawa community and i think this is something that it's in the, in the you know right direction to just rebuild all of that yeah, and, and I think, you know, this, uh, obviously, we've talked about Ottawa and things that happen off the ice. But at the same time, you cannot deny that Ottawa is a great hockey city. Yeah. It's just sucked that their arena has been in so far out of out of the downtown core, I honestly believe if this does get built, oh my God, finally. Cause do you, and I'll never forget this moment. And it's, and it's just, it, it was the way it happened in the Eastern conference finals. 
against the Pittsburgh Penguins. They didn't sell out. That is insane. Like, I remember looking back on that, and I, I was I was so surprised that game of like day of that game, you could still get tickets. Like, and they were not. You know, I'm not gonna drive to Ottawa, but I mean, like, it was pretty crazy that someone out of town day of and tickets are not impossible to get. Yeah, it's. That, that was crazy. And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to blame anybody. Like, that's not the point here. It's just, it was mind boggling uh, to, to me um, when, when that happened. And I think if we have, if we get this downtown arena, and remember, like, this is just a memorandum of understanding. This isn't, nothing's finalized yet. Things could change. Obviously, I think the ownership for the senators is still up in the air just because uh, of how uh, Eugene's will, or just the will works in general. This will probably take some time, whether it'll be his daughters moving forward with the franchise or whether they s- decide to sell. I think either way, if they now decide we want to sell the senators, you know, you, you've just increased the value of the organization because you now have some type of, agreement in a way in moving forward in talks for building a downtown arena, which we've been talking about for years. Yeah. Right. So I think in every aspect of how you look at this, this is only good. Uh, I, I don't really know. I mean, maybe I'm completely missing something here, but from the organization's perspective, this is all great. Uh, yeah. You get a downtown arena. It's close to the fans what else could you want? I think it's the biggest thing, like it's downtown being close to the fans. You know, I, I just kind of feel like you are really kind of showing this is Ottawa's team. This is not Canada's team. This is not, you know, like far off kind of team. It is like we are here. We are part of the city and we want to be another hockey city again. I remember like the energy, not just for 2017, which is... I mean, I'm going to get to that, but I think like in the early 2000s, just when that team was so stacked and, you know, you really did feel the, you really did feel the energy of the Battle of Ontario. Um, That's been lost for a long time. And even when we look back on 2017, you know, hindsight's 2020, but when you mentioned Alex, that it wasn't even sell, like it wasn't even a sellout. And you, you listen to fans, you listen to them on social media, you see what their grievances are that, they look back so fondly on that run. And like, that wasn't a team that was supposed to get there, but I think that they were relying too much on that nostalgia, that fuel from that to see like, this is what the Sens could have done. And I think now they're making it entirely possible to say like, that is a sustainable thing, a sustainable idea that you could get out of that. Oh yeah. Uh, For sure. And again, only good things I think can come from from that news. And the last thing we will talk about, unless something breaks while we're talking, but uh, the last thing we'll talk about is Chicago have a new head coach, um, and it's unfortunate I'm not here to talk about it because I'm I, he's this upset when it happened. But the she, the Chicago Blackhawks have hired Montreal Canadiens assistant coach Luke Richardson as their head coach. That was um. I think it was a long time coming for me. Um, Adams mentioned so many times what Luke Richardson's become for the Montreal Canadiens. He's been there in the good and the bad times. And I think it was, it was something that, you know, this was going to happen eventually that he was going to get his own team finally. And, you know, we, do we, we do wish him the best because that is, that is a tough situation to really walk in because I don't know what the, I don't think the Blackhawks know what they are. At this point, so I think it's gonna be a bit of a juggling match, especially if Alex DeBrincat gets traded. Those are crazy rumors, by the way. That you don't know what you're gonna go in and like. For me, as a like, I'm not a coach, but I always kind of think when you go into like having this idea of what you want the team to be, how you want them to play, you kind of have an expectation of like what the roles are. But I think it's just there's so much of a transition right now with Chicago that the roles are not as defined. Like is Kirby doc 
really going to like I know the injuries are there, but is he really going to be a top line center for you? Will Jonathan Taves bounce back? Will Patrick Kane keep scoring the way he is? Are will they, they even be on the team? Will they even be on the team? Yeah, who is their goalie? <laughs> like there are just so many things there. Yeah, it'll, it'll definitely be interesting, but I do think like listen, we saw um and how much of an impact did he have? But Luke Richardson, uh, Luke Richardson did pu- play uh, coach as a head coach for a few games uh, against Vegas last season, right? Last season, yeah. yeah. Um, and again, like I think this, Adam's been saying it, like you said, it's been a time coming, and and there was a time where the conversation was. Was he even a candidate to replace uh, Dominic Ducharme? Obviously, with the language barrier, that that wasn't gonna gonna happen because uh, he doesn't speak French. But there was, I mean, before we figure that out, there was definitely talks of that happening. And I think if he spoke French, I don't think anyone in Montreal would be upset at it at the time. Obviously, now what we know with Martin Saint Louis. I think some people would be a little upset about it, but uh, at the time, I think it, it would be interesting. And it makes sense, you know, a guy for call Chicago, I almost said Colorado, they're in this weird, weird situation. Like you said, we're like, what on earth are they? Like they're talking about trading Alex to bring What? Yeah. That's what like, I thought that's a foundational piece. That's a guy I would keep like the, and I mean, no offense to, to these two guys in particular, but, wouldn't Taze and Kane be the first ones to go? It's a Blake Wheeler situation. It, yeah, yeah, it, it is. It, but it, like, wouldn't you say those two guys would be the first ones to go? Like before Alex DeBrincat? Yeah, like I think they kind of just represent the needed culture change there. But we don't know how the owners want to view them. We don't, I don't know. It's just. It's odd to me because, like, these were the most untouchable guys in Chicago, but so much has changed, especially with the Cal Beach um, case, especially with Rocky Words, um, especially oh, yeah. with what this team is being viewed, not just in the city, but in the entire league. That, like, it, like, wouldn't you want to start anew? Like, you're getting the new coach, you're getting the new management, but wouldn't you want to start anew with the way? you're showing off this team. Like, you know, Kane and Taves are the last pieces of that. Yeah. Cause obviously two years ago, they got rid of Brent Seabrook last year. They got rid of Duncan Keith. Literally these two guys are, are, are the last, are the last pieces here. Um, how much of a loss is Luke Richardson for the Montreal Canadiens? I think the, I don't know. He was good. I think he was a solid voice there, but I think they're going to be able to adjust. Um, it'll be interesting because I think Marty St. Louis has a bit more of a free hand there right now to kind of choose, okay, who else do I want to bring? Maybe I want to bring my own guy I know to be part of the mat to be part of the coaching there now. Um, I think it's just another push for the Canadians to kind of just reinvent this is the new team. This is the new management and things are going to be very different now. Oh yeah. Uh, for sure. And I have a couple names here that I've, uh, before we recorded, I just was looking at who people were talking about. I have a couple names here. Uh, this is one, this first one's from a winning habit. Love the name. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's fan uh, fan sided. It's mon- the Montreal page for that, and th- they suggested uh, first one is Mark Recchi. They go, this candidate will already send fans of a certain age howling in disbelief and disagreement. But Mark Recchi has already been linked to the Canadians as of recent in regards to a coaching job. Um, he might not be the ideal candidate to replace. It is said he would be in consideration to take. Alex Burrow's spot as special teams coach or as an associate coach to Martin St. Louis. Probably not going to happen. I, I don't know if they want to. I don't know what they want to do with Alex Burrow's. I doubt it. But this one might be interesting. Um, I have here from Maxime 
Maxime Lapierre, he is with, I believe the NHL. It says, if Richardson, be, it's, in the, it's translated. This is in French. If Richardson becomes head coach in Chicago, I think it's time to give Francis Briand a chance on the Canadiens bench. Otherwise, a veteran like Rick Bonus, former head coach of the Stars and who is a coach of the, of the defense in Vancouver with Alain Vigneault. That'd be interesting. Wow. I, I, yeah, I wouldn't think of Rick Bonus. I was thinking of all the former, like Francis Bouillon, Maxime Lapierre, like Mark Recchi, all those former Habs players that maybe they'll fit into that. But that'd be interesting, a Rick Bonus one. Like he kind of accepts the job as an assistant. Um, I think it'd be great for him to just maybe get into another consistent thing. And maybe that's his push to find another full-time job after. Potentially. Potentially. I'm just looking. I'm just looking here because I read that. Uh, Francis Briand might actually be with the Canadians right now. Um, I found his LinkedIn page. Funny enough, Um, he is. uh, He's with in the player development. So he's already he's been in the organization for five years. Uh, So that's all right. Right there, it's a it's a potential possibility. is there anything you want to talk about about Luke Richardson before we finish and before I check Twitter? I think it's pretty interesting. I think I just like to get Adam's take on this when he, when he, on the next episode because yeah. he loves Luke Richardson. Uh, he's a former Leafs legend, former Leafs first round pick. Wasn't he dra- yeah, I was gonna say. Um, was he drafted before like Joe Sakic? I swear. I want to think about it. It's okay. But uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting because it is a well-loved guy in the organization, but we like that he's finally getting the opportunity to be the main guy. For sure. For sure. Uh, there's nothing else on Twitter that I can see. Actually, did you see yesterday? Uh, I, I'm not entirely sure why he was doing it, but Alex Ovechkin was playing soccer. Yeah, he's so big compared to all the other players. Yeah, yeah, that w- I thought that was hilarious. Um, I, have one I thing, didn't know that was way. a thing. Yeah, but I have one thing. Sorry, on this day in 1999, the Vancouver Canucks or Brian Burke drafted both the Sedins. Did he draft the Sedins? Wow, he drafted the Sedins. <laughs> I wasn't sure. I mean, uh... confirmed for us. He didn't know either. <laughs> That's uh, that is. That's funny. Fun fact, um, he tried to do that in 2005 because he wanted Bobby Ryan at a later slot, but nobody wanted to trade with him anymore. So he took yeah. him second overall with the Mighty Ducks. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, that is it for today's episode. Um, if you enjoyed it, please you know subscribe, give us a like on Spotify, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. And yeah. Should- Check us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and TikTok. And you can also watch our stuff on YouTube if you're not already watching it there. Okay. See you guys next time. Have fun.